Welcome back to the Maluli Asset Podcast. This is episode 363. This is your host, Casey Maluli. I'm joined here by Tom Maluli. And as per usual, we're going to cover some headlines and topics that have been getting discussed recently in the financial media. And these are topics that we find relevant and we hope you get some good takeaways from. So a recent article that we caught our eye in in Morningstar was talking about the hidden assumptions of financial calculators. So we see these financial calculators all over the web now. They're pretty much in, most of the custodians have them right there in people's accounts for them. We know Fidelity has one, Vanguard has one. I'm sure Schwab has a version of it as well. And what these retirement calculators do is someone has an account, it takes their account value, it makes some assumptions like returns and time horizon, and it spits out a percentage of, sometimes it's not even a percentage, it's just a color or a scale that tells you whether you're quote unquote okay or not. On track. On track, right. right. <clears throat> so we wanted to break down some of the some of these assumptions and you know dive into this a little bit because it's certainly something that we help folks figure out and a lot of folks come to us and say look this thing's telling me I'm okay is that true uh, I'm happy that people come to us and ask us if it's true because I think there's a larger percent of people percentage of people out there who just take it as the answer. And so, well, you know what? The green light of fidelity says that I can, those stupid commercials have that green path (laughs) on the floor. Like, oh, I can, we're, you know, we're on easy street. Yeah. Let's, let's go. Right. The, the thing with these financial calculators is they're calculators. (laughs) A lot of people who know me well say, wow, you're really good at math. And I'm like, no, I've just, play with a calculator instead of video games when I was growing up. Hmm. I just started doing a lot of math in my head, and I got faster and faster on calculators. But you need to understand that it's a tool. It's a calculator. There are things built into the calculator that some of them can be changed. Some of them are, some of these calculators are hardwired. Some of these calculators have a 2% inflation rate. That's hardwired. You can't straight, change straight that. line two percent, meaning two percent every year for the next thirty years or whatever. Yeah, which is just not rational. Right. So these the calculators use average numbers, which we've talked about before on a podcast. But the danger of using average numbers, as we've explained, is that you can get a ten percent annualized return, but it's going to be thirty percent in the first year, nothing in the next two years. And then you got your annualized 10% return. But the way that that impacts a retirement plan is when these calculators bake it in in a straight line, 8% a year, it's like, okay, well, as long as I take out four, I'm still making eight. I'm not taking out four. I'm not dipping into my principal at all. Yeah. But it never works. It usually doesn't work out that way. There was a podcast that Brendan and I did where. At the time we had uh, recorded the podcast, like the the rolling twelve uh, ten year return for the S and P five hundred was six percent, and there was not a single year or quarter where it was exactly six yeah. percent. Like it just it never works out that way. It's the same with inflation. Yeah, no, people don't see these assumptions. They can't 
tweak these assumptions. They're kind of just baked in and the, the custodians provide the assumptions for them, usually based on historical returns or historical averages, which are usually right, but it's in a straight line and life doesn't move in straight lines. Yeah. It's important that people who tinker with these financial calculators understand how they work before you get to the green bar yeah. that says success. So what's happening under the hood, they want to see like all different possible outcomes where you have a couple of bad years up front in the market while you're retired, a couple of bad years in the middle of your retirement, a couple of bad years towards the end of your retirement. And what they want to do is they basically want to give you a score. What, what they'll do is they'll spit out either a color or a letter like A+, plus, or sometimes they'll give you a percentage, like you're 95% there. Well, how do they know that? So let's talk about that. The article has a pretty interesting table that breaks down the success rate. So if you want a 100% success rate, the withdrawal rate as a per- so this the withdrawal rate is the percentage of your assets that you're taking out to live on to live on each yeah. year <clears throat> so with a 100% success rate the withdrawal rate needed to accomplish that in this situation is 2.4% so let's hit the pause button and talk about this before you launch these calculators, they're going to ask you, what's your starting balance? What's your age? When do you plan on retiring? When do you start to take money out? And how much do you think you're going to need to take out on an annual basis? Just guess. And so what they'll do is, if you have a need of, say, I need to take $10,000, like I'm getting a pension, I'm getting Social Security, but I'm still going to be about ten or twelve grand short. So $1,000 a month mm-hmm. while I'm in retirement. Uh, if you have a $100,000 retirement fund, you're taking out 10 or maybe 12% of your account value right. over the first year. Uh, if you have a million dollars and you need to take out 10 or $12,000, well, you're only taking out you know, 1% or 1.2% right. of, of that number. What... Casey was just saying was that if you have if you go through these financial calculators and you want to hit 100% success rate, you have to take out 2.4% or less to be able to weather all of the up down sideways markets that you're going to see over the next 30 years on average. Right. One of the issues that I have is how do you nail down what a good success rate is or what people what success rate people want obviously everyone wants a hundred percent success rate but sometimes that's just not realistic a lot of people don't have the money right. they don't have enough money or they have too much of a need yeah and they have to they just have to take out more that's the way it is i mean a lot of people don't have pensions yeah so as the success rate falls if you if you want a fifty percent success rate for for instance, your withdrawal rate needs to be five point three percent or less. Right. So, uh, some websites, I think they mentioned Schwab, yeah. in there, uh, lowered their success rate to something like seventy five percent, seventy five to ninety percent. 
which means that you know you're taking out you know four four and a half percent we still think that's a little rich i mean let's face it it's gonna really suck if you run out of money at 71 Mm -hmm. or 72 we actually had to show that to a client a couple of weeks ago that's not a fun conversation yeah. because either that client needs to work more, save more, or readjust how they're going to be spending money in retirement. Yeah. Or both. So these things are tools. They're not the answer. This isn't the Wizard of Oz. You yeah. do have to pull back the curtain and see the guy who's standing behind it right. and see what's going on with this. They do make a lot of assumptions about what you are putting in. Uh, what the withdrawal rate is going to be, like how much money you need to take out. But they're making some assumptions about what stocks are going to return, Yeah, what inflation is going to be, what are interest rates going to be like. The outputs are only as good as the inputs. Yeah, garbage in, garbage out. Right. And so you really got to question your inputs and you really got to question what's happening under the surface. So, But Casey, some of the, the problems with some of these tools is that you can't go in and tinker with... Hey, you know, I think inflation is going to be higher in the future. You can't even change that on some of these calculators. And unfortunately, people are taking these this the what the computer is spitting out as gospel. Yeah, we we spend a lot of time talking about what cash flow might need to look like in retirement for our clients, and what happens the first year or two or three that people are full-time retired, they tend to do a lot of traveling. Mm -hmm. And so it's very possible that your expenses could be ultra high for the first couple of years while you're retired, and then they're going to settle down. I think you're going to spend a lot less when you're 81 versus 71. The numbers are going to change. And when you're... So think back to the process uh, that you went through when you were using the calculator and you said, yeah, I'm going to need an extra extra $10,000 a year from my retirement plan, that could be totally wrong yeah. for a few years and then totally right. You got to question these assumptions. You got to take a second look at these things just because the green light's on or you know, you're know you walking down the path, so to speak, doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be the case in the future. I One of the things that we stress to our clients is that planning is an ongoing process. Yeah. It never ends. Right. So uh, we're consistently reviewing the numbers with our clients all the time. Do we want to spend a minute and just uh, talk quickly about something that we mentioned in episode 362 about trading versus investing? Yeah, a recent article in the Wall Street Journal from Jason Zweig, who is one of the best writers in the financial industry. Uh, he's been doing it forever, and he keeps finding ways to say new things about the same stuff. But the headline was, you can't invest without trading. You can trade without investing. So the main point of the article was that financial publications, such as the Wall Street Journal, he calls out his own his own people here, that they misuse the word investor when they're really talking about speculators. So I just want to read a quick passage from the article. An investor relies on internal sources of return, earnings, income, growth in the value of assets. A speculator counts on external sources of return, 
primarily whether somebody else will pay more regardless of fundamental value. So the difference is speculators invest because they just see the price of whatever going up. The greater fool theory. Like there's yeah. always going to be a greater fool who will buy this from me right. or I can sell it to. Right. But investors rely on what the companies are actually doing, their internal um, you know, cash flow reports, their balance sheets, what the the products that the companies are making and investors invest because of that, not because they just see a big green arrow next to the company's name. It's bothered me for my entire career that you turn on TV and you see these chuckleheads on there talking about investors bid up the price of fill in the blank today yeah. or investors beat down the price of ABC today. Uh, no, they didn't because that wasn't investors. Yeah. Those were traders and speculators. So let's get the jargon right. Right. Let's take the, the meme stocks, for example, which Zweig mentions in, in the article. So Are those GameStop. GameStop, AMC. Uh, you can even throw in Tesla in there. You could throw in Tesla. So would you classify those as investors or speculators? GameStop was essentially left for dead uh, a couple of years ago. They used to be a chain of video stores. Now they're trying to change the, the business, but they were, they were video game stores. They were. And now they're trying to change a little bit of what they're doing, but they still have stores. Right. They still have fundamentals, and the fundamentals don't match up to the price of the stock right now. This thing is trading in the stratosphere. It just doesn't match reality. It no. feels so wrong. Yeah. But, but it goes up almost every day. Right. So what was the answer to your... Sorry, I, I kind of cut you off. Are they investors or speculators? They have to be speculators. Right. They have to be. I mean, that's the whole idea behind it is these people, I mean, I don't want to speak for them, but just, you know, what I perceive their motive to be is, like you said, they're going to pump up the price of the stock and then sell it to someone else and get out, and then they're going to be left holding the bag. Right. I think Zweig makes a really good point that you have to make trades to be considered an investor, but just because you make trades doesn't make you an investor. I think that investors in general will make less trades than speculators because a speculator doesn't need a reason to trade. They're, a speculator doesn't need an event to trade. They can just see, well, I'm up five points in this thing. I'm going to flip it. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I years ago when I was a broker, uh, I used to have a doctor client who would say, you know, we had 5,000 shares of a stock, and he would say, if you make a point, you flip it. <laughs> And that's he. That was his instructions all the time. You make a point, you flip it. Yeah. Um, so, and then he would hang up. Yeah. So, those people are just speculating. They're yeah. trying to just make a buck here and there where they can. And they're going to have days where they lose, and they're going to have days where they win big. And they hope that the the winners out outstrip the losers. Right. But an investor is saying, "Hey, like I want to buy the house next to yours." That's the way I always feel an investor ought to look at things. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to sink some roots into this thing. Yeah. Like, we're going to be here for a while. Like, you better get tour, used to seeing you're gonna me around. You're going to get the inspection. Oh, yeah. You're going to, are the schools and neighborhoods good? Yeah. I mean. We're going to work on that front lawn. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. Zweig attributes speculators' success to luck rather than doing your homework and spending time on these things. 
So luck could be confused as skill, which leads to overconfidence, which leads to people taking unnecessary amounts of risks and speculating even more and up and up and up and and then it spirals out of control because they believed themselves to be a successful investor when really all they were doing was just speculating based on nothing. If you take enough swings with the bat, you're going to get some hits. And that's always been the rule. I think the thing about investing is that a skill that comes with identifying a good investment or bad investment, a skill like that is transferable, meaning you can look at companies in one industry and transfer that same skill to a different industry. And you could also transfer it to mutual funds and to bonds and say, okay, I can recognize that there's value here, but luck is not transferable. Luck just happens. Mm -hmm. And so I got lucky trading Tesla, and then I got lucky trading fill in the blank. Yeah. I got lucky doing this. But the problem is a lot of traders slash speculators will not say it's luck. Yeah. They'll say it's skill. Right. We've got an obligation to the folks that we work with that we're not going to be speculators. We don't deny the fact that speculators can make lots of money. Yeah. They can do really, really well. Definitely. And we've met a few people who we've told them we're, we're not right for you because yeah. you can you've demonstrated the fact that you can trade actively and do well good for you yeah that's great we're not going to be doing that right like we say in our slogan it's not luck it's planning we mean that and with that we're gonna wrap up episode 363 there's a lot of good stuff in there we hope you got some, some good takeaways, and we will see you on 364. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.